Welcome to the Develop Yourself podcast, where we teach you everything you need to land your first job as a software developer by learning to develop yourself, your skills, your network, and more. I'm Brian, your host. I want to talk about a little bit about some of the worst parts about being a software developer. People always talk about the greatest parts. Like if you go on TikTok or Instagram, it's some dude with a hood on his head, coding at light speed by themselves in a dark room, getting the big bag, doing whatever they want, eating burritos and clocking out at 12 p.m. and showing up at 10 a.m. That is reality for some people. But for the majority of us, that's not the reality at all. The reality is a lot different. Now, I'll start off by saying this. I love this job. There's a reason why I encourage people to get into it if they like doing it. I would never encourage somebody to do this just for the money because I think there's a lot of other careers out there that you could do just for the money. And you can still learn to code and do those careers, by the way. I don't think that learning to code means, oh, now you have to be a software engineer. I think too many people think that. And you could do all sorts of other stuff. Product management, data science, data analyst, entrepreneurship stuff, building your own solution or SaaS app or whatever. But before we dive in to some of the worst parts about being a software developer and three of the things that I think we don't talk about enough in this industry and three reasons that might deter you from being a software developer that I want to share so you make the right decision and aren't just thinking about the big giant bag or the super flexible work from home schedule and all the other things that are the promises that a lot of programs and people out there are trying to sell you on. Before I even get to that, I know it's probably Christmas time near the holidays if you're listening to this, if you're listening to the date this was recorded on, and there's a lot of great sales out there. Now, I don't have an affiliation with any of these people at all. Maybe I should actually because I'm giving them big old shout outs like this. Here are a few things that I would buy during this time when there's probably some big massive discounts going on as a software developer that I, I buy all the time. I typically renew them around this time of year. They give me a lot of great value, and I think they're great, and I think you should check them out too. Again, no affiliation. I don't get paid to say this. I'm just saying this because I think they're good stuff. Algoexpert.io being one of the top ones. Uh, this is great for data structure and algorithm practice as well as learning front-end interview stuff, which is really lacking out there in the ecosystem of software developer tools and courses. I don't see a lot of front-end specific stuff. For example, learning how to pass a React interview is way different than learning how to pass Google's interview, which is going to be a completely different set of standards and concepts they want you to know that involve data structures and algorithms. So Algo Expert being one of my favorite things out there for sure. And they have a system design portion of it, which leads me to system design. Alex Zhu, Alex XU, has a couple books on system design, which are excellent. Really short, right to the point. So good. Um, definitely going to help you get a better holistic understanding of general like, okay, our systems architected. I know a lot of people beat up these things like, when are you ever going to design Netflix? Or when are you ever going to make these massive systems? And reality is you're not. But it's a really nice introduction into the patterns that dominate the field. And it's a lot more approachable than something like Designing Data Intensive Applications, which is a famous book, which you might want to read when you're a few years into your career. But right now, Alex Zhu's system design books and his site, Byte Byte Go, great, excellent stuff. Major shout out to Front End Masters. Um, major shout out to, what's the other one? There's Front End Masters and there's Scrimba. And I've heard some great things about those as well. I haven't used them but I like them a lot. Lastly, codecrafters.io. I haven't used that one in a while, but it really, really good 
challenges they have out there. So it's like you will get a challenge, you'll write some code, you'll deploy it to Git, or you'll submit it to a Git repo, and then some tests will run letting you know if you did it or not. John Cricket has a lot of challenges that are very similar. John Cricket is going to be a guest I'm going to interview in the future here. He also has a bunch of great stuff. He has a newsletter. Check him out. It's called Coding Challenges. Super, super good stuff. You should go check him out. Anyway, now let's get to what are the three worst parts about being a developer. Why do I want to share this stuff? Shouldn't I be sharing all the great stuff? I own a boot camp, Parsity. Check it out, by the way. Um, So I'm sharing this. I only want people to join either my boot camp or whatever boot camp or program, school, whatever. If you go to this eyes wide open, I want you to know exactly what's going to be expected in the industry and some of the not so fun things too. So you can decide, you know what, maybe this is not their career for me. Maybe I should actually work on, you know, getting some technical skill in another field or some highly uh, skilled labor trade for example, maybe like carpentry or whatever you want to do, you should know what's coming with it. Now, I used to work in a boot camp um, a long ago, and one of the first questions I'd ask people when I met them in real life, we'd sit around a table and it'd be like 10 students or whatever, and I'd say, what got you into coding? Now, this is going to be maybe a little controversial, but people that said, I got into it just for the money, said, I just want to get money. Those people tended, tended to not do very, very well, right? I've definitely seen some do well. I don't think you have to love coding or be super passionate about it to do well. But I will say that the people that said, I'm in this to get money and that's it. And they had like zero interest in coding. They just didn't do that well. It's hard to because of the reasons I'm going to go into. So reason number one, worst reason number one or worst thing about software development, number one, the fast pace of the industry. Tech moves super fast. I've only been coding for 10 years, which is crazy because people think, oh, it's a long time. And I think that's nothing. I'm about to turn 40, right? I met developers in their 60s. I've met a couple of developers in their 70s. And I'm thinking, man, these guys are, you've been doing this for 50 years, some of them. Some of them started off when they were in their 20s and been coding for 50 years. They've seen everything you could imagine. They started writing machine code. And now here we are writing abstractions, on top of abstractions, on top of abstractions. So I went to the Computer History Museum with one of the guys in San Jose, California, uh, during a work trip. Typical nerd work developer stuff. And we're checking out the machine code, like little, like literal punch cards these guys would use to punch in codes. And they said, oh, I remember using that. And I'm like, wait, what? How is that possible? That's how fast things change. And they're changing even faster now, I'd say. Now, change in itself is not so bad, but the problem is you're going to be expected to keep up with this change. It's not like, oh, yeah, some changes happened and whatever. Ten years ago, AWS as a platform wasn't as ubiquitous as it is now. Now, everybody uses AWS. I believe like 80% of companies use AWS as their like cloud service provider. and infrastructure. I think the government like almost totally uses AWS for their server stuff right now which is wild to think that like if they go down they would bring down full governments tons of companies they'd bring down most of the world actually if aws went down that just wasn't the case 10 years ago react wasn't a thing 10 years ago and now it is the thing that you have to know no one's gonna like give you time on the job by the way to learn this kind of stuff this is the kind of thing that if you don't take an interest in development or like it And that's why I go back to if you don't like this career or like coding, it's going to be really hard to get ahead because of the fast pace that things move. So 
if you come across a new language framework that starts to dominate your industry. So for example, if you're in a front end web development and you didn't take advantage of React when it first came out or learned it on the side on your own through doing side projects, you're gonna be really late to the party, right? If you're late to the party, it means you're gonna be cutting off a lot of job opportunities and other just different opportunities that are gonna help you get the kind of jobs you want in the future. If you're a back-end developer, maybe you missed out on the AWS explosion and you decided, I'm not going to learn that stuff, or maybe you didn't want to learn about lambdas and you just didn't care. And you're just like, I just want to do my work and go home. That's not the reality of being a software developer. You could do your work and go home, I'd say, maybe in another generation where you could work at the same company and they might upskill you throughout it. Software developers tend to change jobs every two years on average, which is wild. I think it's higher or maybe the highest in like the white collar industry for job hopping around. And that's because of the money that's in tech. There's a lot of money and there's more money if you job hop than staying in the same job. But in order to do that and take advantage of all the money out there, all the salary increases that you could get, you're gonna have to stay on top of stuff in the industry. And how do you do that? Being online, honestly. I mean, whether you're on X slash Twitter or LinkedIn or maybe you're reading blogs on Medium. I think these are three really good ways to stay on top of what you're doing. I guess I really like that number three, don't I? Um, but those are three really good ways of staying on top of what's going on in the tech industry. And then making sure you're keeping track of micro trends versus mega trends. Micro trends might be a framework that's kind of obscure that people are saying, oh, this is a great framework, you should take a chance on this versus a mega trend like large companies are making shifts into this framework. For example, React being a mega trend. I would say something like um, Svelte being maybe a micro trend that may bubble up into a mega trend in the future. Svelte being another JavaScript framework that people might say in another few years becomes dominant. Next.js was a micro trend. Now it's a mega trend, which is the exact reason why we're studying it at Parsity. Plug, plug. Anyway, keeping up with all this stuff also leads to imposter syndrome. So the fast pace can also give you that sense of like, man, will I ever know enough? Can I ever know enough? And, you know, oh, other people are studying this. They're studying this. It's overwhelming sometimes. So you have to really learn how to streamline what you're doing in order to stay ahead in the industry and not get sidetracked by every new shiny thing. They call it shiny object syndrome. Really important to do because if you don't, you can quickly be outdated in this industry really, really quickly. It's, it's kind of wild now, especially in the year 2023. This is going to go down as one of those years where a lot of stuff changed in the JavaScript ecosystem really, really fast. Faster than I've seen in a very long time. In the 10 years that I've been coding, I've never seen changes like this take place so fast. I don't think we'll have another year like this for a while. This is a very special year. Very cool in many ways, but also stressful if you're a new developer because you had to learn a lot of new stuff. Next.js, TypeScript. Um, JavaScript had some, some additions, more additions than usual felt like that came into the JavaScript language in general, into the ECMAScript standard. So a lot of stuff, Next.js being the biggest one, React server components in Next.js definitely taught us that, hey, you think you know React? Well, here, check this out. Now you're going to learn it again. And if you didn't, you're going to feel like you're late to the party next year. Reason number two, high levels of stress. Now, this goes completely opposite to what most people say online or all the TikTok videos you see of people saying, oh, it's such a chill six-figure job. I've never heard of like a chill six-figure job What lawyers, doctors, software engineers. I don't think of it as a chill job at all. Now, let me explain something to you, right? In my previous life, as you may know, did a lot of illegal stuff, bad stuff, 
there were a lot of shady characters. <laughs> I've had a gun to my head about three times. Yeah, that was and that, and that was stressful, right? That was really stressful. Let me tell you something. Being a software developer is also very stressful. You think, oh, being a software developer must must be like nothing compared to that, right? No, my friend, it's still really stressful. I don't care what I've been through. It's a stressful occupant. Let me tell you why it's so stressful. Not only the deadlines and the complex problem solving under pressure, but you have high expectations in this field to get things done. People are paying you a lot of money at the end of the day. There's a reason why you're getting paid six figures or multiple six figures. And these aren't multiple six figures as in manager or like a VP. These are multiple six figures as an individual in some cases. So some people on the coast, especially in like San Francisco, New York, Austin, Seattle, it's not unheard of at all to get, you know, around a quarter million for an individual contributor, which I still think is a wild salary to get for really writing code all day and not managing anybody. There's still a lot of expectations that you will lead projects and kind of take on a project management role. But in a lot of these organizations, just literally writing the code that keeps the machine running is enough to command that kind of salary. Uh, it still blows my mind, especially when you meet people from like regular jobs, like you talk to your parents or your brother or sister, the guy at the bus stop, and you see what they're doing and they're getting paid, you know, a tenth of that and <laughs> and living a, a fairly normal life. And then you see people complaining online about getting a quarter million dollars and saying, oh, I should get paid more. They're on blind.com complaining about their salary. Anyway, there's a high level of stress associated with these really large salaries and that that is non-negotiable. Uh, you are going to be stressed out at some point in this career. When things are on a crunch time, when they say, hey, we need to get this feature out by this date because we have a campaign or some sort of ad program running and we need to get it out, guess what? You're going to get it out. And if it takes 12 hours a day, that's sometimes what it takes. There was a period about a year or two ago when I was working 12-hour days for almost a month or maybe even two straight. I've gone through that kind of thing in a few jobs. And people say, oh, that's not fair. That's not good work-life balance. That's the reality, though. Most developers have been through that. They've, they've pulled all-nighters, have gone through these death marches where we're working you know, 10, 12-hour days and just trying to get things pumped out as quickly as we can without breaking too much stuff. Because the things that you write have real-world consequences also. Let's say you write a program that has to do with some sort of safety protocol or like a heart monitor, or something on an airplane, or a car, or even somebody's credit card, you are ultimately responsible for that functionality. And if it goes haywire, and it does something really, really bad, well, you're going to feel some sort of moral obligation, and perhaps even a legal obligation may come on you as well. That's less likely. What's more likely is you're just going to be stressed out because there's there's huge deadlines on you. Not to mention, um, there's a thing called on-call, which no one ever talks about. I don't know why. Why does nobody ever talk about this? On-call is a really, really scary period for many people where basically you'll get handed something like a phone um, or they'll get like a app installed on your phone called PagerDuty, which is a really popular one, and you'll be on-call, which means for a, some period of time, maybe a week, maybe a day, you will be expected 24 hours a day to answer that little app if it says, hey, there's an emergency going on. Something critical has happened to the app which you are in charge of. You need to go and investigate it like this this within an hour or so. You need to start figuring out a fix. It's If it's Saturday at 2 in the morning or if it's Sunday at like 3 in the morning or maybe you were on vacation and you didn't plan it out correctly and you happen to be on this thing, guess what? It's going to fall on you. And if you completely ignore it, that's like a fireable offense. 
Now, I've never seen anybody fired for not being able to fix a bug, but I have seen people nearly fired <laughs> for just ignoring these calls. So if you thought you can get you know wasted or something on a Friday night while you're on pager duty, guess again, bucko. You know, you actually might need to be on there to answer that call, that call of the wild. So that is another reality of being software engineer, these on-call periods. And they can be really stressful. Companies like Amazon are notorious for having really brutal on-call periods. I think these are a bit of a rite of passage. I would say that if you're at a company that has complete chaos all the time, when it's just like that's the norm, chaos is the norm, it's time to leave the company. Um, I was at a company where that kind of was the case. Now, I learned a ton about doing on-call periods where I'm like, okay, I'm on call. <laughs> Things would break on a Saturday morning at 4 a.m. or whatever. I'd get up and I'd fix it. I had a few all-nighters there. Um, definitely taught me a lot, toughened me up, and made me appreciate just how um, complex the system was and how we had to do how we had all these things that were working in harmony, uh, sometimes working in harmony, that, that would get out the you know expected functionality that we were trying to achieve. So yeah, stressful job is what I'm trying to get at. Which leads me to the last one, which is maybe a little counterintuitive. I think people get into this career for work-life balance, but I would say that the probability for a very uneven work-life balance exists within this career more so than others. And the reason for that is because of remote work. Now, it can go in really, really extreme directions either way. For example, I've seen people go the very extreme direction of just not working or working multiple jobs because they're doing so little on their job. I've definitely seen people work two, three jobs. That's also another interesting example of a bad work-life balance. People chasing so much money, literally wanting to become millionaires as an individual contributor that they'll work three or four jobs. And you can read Reddit about this uh, overemployed. I'm, I'm not a fan of this. I don't, I don't look at anybody down for doing this at all. I just, I wouldn't, want to do that because that would be very, very stressful to have that many stressful jobs. And you can never do well on any of those jobs. You'd have to do mediocre at every single one of those jobs just to stay afloat. And that's the reality of doing that as well. Anyway, work-life balance is difficult to achieve as a developer, especially remote, because you have so much freedom in your day and flexibility um, that you could either go crazy on your features and tasks, which you may have to, or you could totally kind of goof off and then work all weekend long. Um, I tend to go the other direction. I tend to overwork being remote. I had to learn how to work remotely correctly. Most people don't know how to work remote correctly, actually, which is so funny because everybody wants to work remote, but they actually probably shouldn't work remote for their first job because working remote is really difficult to know where am I, where am I standing in the company? Am I doing well? Am I not, am I not doing well? Do people like me? Um, am I asking too many questions? Am I asking not enough questions? How can I get promoted? If you're not really proactive in your communication, you'll just kind of end up feeling maybe like I did, like really like you're not really in the company at all. Like kind of like you're just like a fly on the wall, like you're kind of there, but not really. Like you're just doing work, but you don't really figure out how it fits into the larger ecosystem of the rest of the work. Um, so if you are working remote, I definitely think that can lead to a imbalance of your work life. Um, also, in tech companies, especially startups, there's kind of this assumption that you'll always be on, especially imagine at a startup where it's 
very small startup, which is one of the most likely places to get hired as a junior developer at a startup that just needs some warm bodies to write code and they can't afford that much, so they'll hire junior developers. There's this idea that because they're so enthused about their own product and they're trying to get it to market and they're going through this really interesting time in their own life that you too will somehow like buy in to their enthusiasm and then want to be like, yeah, I'm here for the long haul too. I'm here to like help you launch your product and make you a millionaire. And maybe you don't care. Maybe you're like, I'm, hey, look, dude, I'm here because you hired me. <laughs> That's it. Like I didn't. I joined here because you made me an offer and now I'm here and that's it. And, and, uh, that doesn't always work. It, it can lead to a mismatch of expectations. So at some tech companies, especially at startups, I've noticed there's an idea that, Hey, you're responsive. Hey, let's meet up after work. Hey, maybe this weekend we can do a hackathon. Hey, have you done this? It's like, no, man, I don't want to do any of that stuff. And that can lead to, you know, you just getting really burned out really quickly. Um, so being remote or being in person in a company that doesn't really respect boundaries, which is unfortunately the case in tech because software engineers, by by large, write code as a hobby and a profession. This is the truth. This is seen in surveys. Every year, Stack Overflow does a survey and they ask how many, how many coders write code as a hobby and as a profession. Nearly all do. So there, there is a bit of this odd expectation that like we just assume if you're a developer, like I'll assume most of the time that like developers on my team write code outside of work for fun. I just make that assumption. And I'll sometimes bring up stuff like, oh, hey, have you, have you heard about this? Did you hear about this news? Have you heard about this cool new thing in JavaScript? And some people I can tell that this is just their job. And I, you know, I don't I don't care. That's that's their business. But I do usually assume that we write code outside of work. Now, that assumption can lead to dangerous actions because if somebody assumes, oh, you just love writing code and you're new to this thing and you must really love it. Let me give you as much code information and try to slam you as much as I can. <laughs> that can lead you to just feeling burned out and not really having fun. Anyway, wow. Hope I didn't scare you off from being a developer here because here's the other reality that, yeah, why am I still doing this? Why do most of us still do this and love it? It's because it's fun. We do this as a hobby. We do this to get paid really, really good salaries. And the first couple of years, if you can take kind of the getting into the industry, perhaps getting into companies that don't have your best interest at heart and learning the game and kind of getting your the notches on your belt, going through the ringer, you're going to come out the other end. And now you're going to have a lot more choices for where you can go next. You're not going to go to where you have to go, but where you want to go. So yeah, the first two years might not be the most glamorous ever. But there's a reason why people get in this career and they see it explode their potential because you can go in this career from a high school graduate, come out on the other end as a quarter million dollar earner, which is not to say it's all about the money at all, but it's a little bit about the money, isn't it? I mean, come on, no one would be doing this potentially or spending thousands of dollars in a boot camp if there was literally no money on the other end of this pipeline, right? So one, a lot of fun. Two, a lot of money. Three, a lot of opportunity and potential. So I think that these things make all the stressful parts worth it. And by the way, whatever you decide to do that's worthwhile, there's going to be some stress associated with it. And you just got to pick which ones are you willing to deal with. Are you willing to deal with the stress of perhaps having financial instability or not having trajectory or you know confidence in your future career? Or are you willing to deal with the stress of constant learning, um, you know, on-call shifts and maybe having to figure out and be really intentional 
with your work-life balance. It's really up to you. It's the stresses you choose to have. But what I really would hate to see is somebody drop $10,000, $20,000 on a boot camp and they get into the job and they think, wait, what? This is the deal? This is what I'm doing here? There's an on-call here? My boss is, wants me to do a hackathon this weekend with him? And, oh, no, React changed again. And now I got to learn it this weekend because I'm going for an interview for a company that's using the most latest version of it. So, yes, these are the realities of software development. Now, if I was a lawyer, I'm sure there's the exact same parallels in all other white-collar industries and white-collar jobs that have this have similar career trajectory and salary trajectory. So you choose. You got to choose what makes sense for you, what works for you. If you ask me, totally worth it. And if you're interested in doing it, really hope you check out Parsity. But if any of these things scare, scared you off, well, I'm kind of glad too because maybe you've saved yourself a ton of money, time, and potentially some stress. I'll see you around. That'll do it for today's episode of the Develop Yourself podcast. To learn more about becoming a software engineer with us, then check out Parsity.io. If you're not quite ready for that, then jump into our dev30.xyz program, which is 30 days of working on your mindset, habits, and JavaScript skills. Totally worth it. See you next week.